What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. As it says in 1 John 2.2, 1 John 2.2, he is the propitiation, he is the covering for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, the whole wide world. This place darkness is not necessary for any person to be cast into, because there's no such thing as God predestined or electing only some to be saved. The lie that God has chosen only some to believe comes straight from the pit. And I say that in love because I have some dear friends that believe that way. Because the pit wants people to think that it's fate, that it's fate for some to be cast into hell because they've been predestined. It's not true. It's not true at all. It's totally unnecessary. It's the greatest catastrophe when a person is cast into hell because just this last week, I was talking to a person. He surprisingly asked me, he said, do you, you really believe in heaven and hell? I don't know why people, they're so shocked. You really believe that? Like, it's not important if I believe in heaven and hell. What's important is if God believes in heaven and hell. And the Lord Jesus believed in heaven and hell, which he did, because he did believe in heaven and hell, and that's why he died as he did in Psalm 22, so that no one would be cast into hell, this place of outer darkness. No one would experience what he experienced being forsaken by God. It's so horrible that the Lord Jesus took the place of man to be forsaken by God in verse 1, So no one would ever have to be forsaken by God. This feeling of being forsaken by God was worse for the Lord Jesus than all the physical pain that he suffered on the cross. Because when the Lord Jesus was forsaken by God, what he was doing, him being forsaken by God, created an umbrella for us that protected us from being forsaken by God. It created what God loves to call a covering which has been translated as atonement. It created a covering. It's what we've been singing about here, where the father said, here, here, my son, let me cover you. Don't go out into that alone. You need an umbrella. It's raining out there. The wrath of God is raining. I'm gonna make for you an umbrella of the blood, of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's gonna work. 
And this chapter describes how the Lord Jesus was forsaken, forsaken by God. And the reason why is given to us in Isaiah 53.8. Isaiah 53.8, which is what the, the Ethiopian eunuch was reading when it says, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living, and here it is, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Just picture the Father saying, so that you could have an umbrella of protection, so that I could have, so that all the world could have a protection against this. That's why he was stricken. And this description in Psalm 22 is a vivid description of the crucifixion with such vivid details that it makes us feel like we're feeling what he felt. This was written hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus suffered on the cross. And what's so remarkable about this account here is that it reads more like a detailed history of what happened rather than a general prophecy about what happened. This is a description of Christ the sacrifice. This is a description of Christ the Passover lamb as it says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And here it is in Psalm 22. And the blessings that come, like we've been talking about, Psalm 23. What a blessing. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The blessings of Psalm 22 flow from the cross. They flow from the cross. The blessing of having our souls satisfied there's no food for our souls unless Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The blessing of having hope and eternal life, of having a deep happiness, none of it without Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. If any person wants hope from God, wants a, a fulfillment in their life, wants an assurance of heaven after death, he's got to see Christ first as an offering for his sins. From Psalm 22. Now Psalm 22 has to be read alongside with Isaiah 53 because they dovetail together and it works like this. Psalm 22 gives us the what. The what happened. It tells us what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 tells us the why. Why did this happen to the Lord Jesus Christ? For example, Psalm 22 tells us about the nails that he felt that pinned him to the cross. In verse 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. Isaiah 53 tells us the reason, as we saw in Isaiah 53, 8, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. For the transgression of my people was he pierced, was he nailed to the cross. And the difference between Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 is how the cross is looked at. Because Isaiah 53 is looking at the cross externally. It's looking at the Lord Jesus. That is Isaiah 53. That's why in Isaiah 53, you have these terms of he and him, as in Isaiah 53, 5. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So in Isaiah 53, you find these terms of the he and the his and the him, but what you don't find in Isaiah 53 is the I and the me and the my. You don't find those terms. Those are the terms for Psalm 22 because Psalm 22 is looking at the cross from the inside. 
It is from the inside of the Lord Jesus, and so therefore he is speaking, I and me and my, such as verse 14, Psalm 22, verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. So hard from the jeerer in Psalm 22, we don't find the terms he, him, and his. Both Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, it described the Lord Jesus as the redeemer, suffering the sins for man. Psalm 22 is remarkable because it tells us the thoughts that were running through the Savior's mind. It tells us what was passing through the mind of the Lord Jesus while he was on the cross. Psalm 22 tells us about the sorrow that he suffered firsthand at having been abandoned by God. Psalm 22 tells us how he, when we read Isaiah 53, we look at that and we're, we're asking the question, what was he thinking? What was he feeling at the time? Psalm 22 fills in that blank. Psalm 22 tells us how he held on to his confidence in God, even though he was forsaken by God. Psalm 22 tells us about how the Lord Jesus encouraged himself by thinking about how God delivered others. Psalm 22 tells us that what he was thinking when his enemies were taunting him. It tells us what he was thinking when the soldiers were driving the nails into his hands and feet. It tells us what he was thinking when he saw the, the soldiers gambling for his cloak, for his coat. It tells us how he was praying that his enemies would not accomplish their goal to defeat him. It tells us the, the secret of how he was able to endure the cross. It tells us with a joy that he was focused on. And, and what makes Psalm 22 so marvelous for us is because it tells us, again, his mind, what he's thinking on the inside. Now, when you first look at verse one, we're just struck by just the repetition. It's not, it, it's not my God, it's my God, my God. And the rep that repetition alone tells us the deep anxiety that he felt, just like in, in 1 Kings 18.37, 1 Kings 18.37, a prayer, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art God. There was a boy there was a boy in 2 Kings 4.19, 2 Kings 4.19, and this boy was dying of something in his head. It was wrong, and he died from it. But he comes to his father in 2 Corinthians 4.19, 2 Kings 4.19, and he said unto his father, my head, my head. And he said to, said to a lad, carry him to his mother, and he died. And, and it's interesting because, as you know, the Old Testament was translated by rabbis, uh, 70 rabbis in, in uh, Alexandria in, in Egypt into what we call the Septuagint. It was translated into Greek in the Septuagint, and that's what is, for the most part, quoted. Uh, actually, it is. That is what's quoted when the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, which is written in Greek. That's what they use, the Septuagint. But the Septuagint, when it came to this part, it said, they translated it like this. My God upon me, my God upon me, which is to say, my God, look at me, my God, look at me, look at my trouble. So the, the psalm actually opens with a question. The question is, why have you forsaken me? And it closes with an answer. God forsook him so that he could accomplish this great work of redemption. But after he asks the question in verse 1 as to why he's been forsaken, he moves on to verse 2 to describe his misery. 
And this the misery, he says in Psalm 2, he says, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. So here he's speaking about crying to God in daytime and in nighttime. The question is, when was that? When was that? In the, when did he cry in the daytime? When did he cry in the nighttime? He cried in the daytime when he was on the cross. And he cried on the nighttime in Gethsemane, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he wasn't silent, and he uses this word cry. He said cry. And it speaks about this in Hebrews 5.7, Hebrews 5.7, where it describes him, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying, and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. What an amazing, what an amazing thing. You know, we just covered last week the truth that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. What an amazing thing to, 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 to study here about how God forsook God. And again, when he cried, it's a Hebrew word, ekra. And ekra is, is, is like a word that's used to, when you, if you accost someone, you accost someone, you use that word. It's a very, very strong. It really hurt the Lord Jesus when the Father turned away from him. This happened at a time called in the days of his flesh. And it wasn't God saying, oh, I forgot what's going on down there with him. Oh, I should have been more on the ball. It wasn't that way. It says in, in Acts 2.23, Acts 2.23, talking about the Lord Jesus, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God this was a determinate, this was purposeful. Acts 2.23 says that the Lord Jesus was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. That means God delivered the Lord Jesus into the hands of his enemies. He delivered him to be a victim. Now, why did God do that? Why did God do that to the Lord Jesus? And you don't see the reason in this verse is because the reason is stated, and this is a key verse, and if you like to turn to it, is Isaiah 53.10. Isaiah 53.10, it gives the whole reason as to why this happened to the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 53.10, it says in there, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It talks about God bruising the Lord Jesus. He hath put him to grief. I thought it was the Romans. I thought it was the Italians. No, it was God who put him to grief. And then he goes on in this psalm, I'm sorry, in Isaiah 53.10, it says, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So the reason God delivered the Lord Jesus into the hands of his enemies, the reason why it pleased the Lord to bruise him from Isaiah 53.10, and at that point you wonder why, because by his death at the hands of his enemies, that left us a golden opportunity a golden opportunity that if we decided to take this opportunity that God then promised that he would give three wonderful things to the person. That, that, this is all from Isaiah 53.10. First, when the Lord Jesus died like this, it gave you and I and every person a golden opportunity to do what is described as when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Im tasim Hashem nefsho. Im, that is, that's what it literally is saying here. Im is, is as, oh, or oh that. Tasim is you put. Hashem is guilt, as in your guilt. And nefsho is his soul. So literally, it could be, if you put your guilt on his soul. Now, 
This is a great opportunity that we all have. It happened to me in 1970 when I accepted the Lord Jesus as my guilt bearer on the cross. That's when I confessed the Lord Jesus. I was a sinner. I believed that he died for my sins. I believed that he bore my guilt on the cross. That's, was, that's what's meant by accepting the Lord Jesus, accepting him as your guilt bearer. And for any person, it's a whosoever will, whosoever will, will may receive the Lord Jesus as his guilt bearer. And this is what John 1.14 is talking about. John 1.14, when it says, John 1.11, John 1.11, John 1.11 says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. What does that mean? He came unto his own, that's the Jewish people, and his own received him not as what? As their guilt bearer, as their savior. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of man, but of God. Now, as many as received him, as what? As their personal guilt bearer. To them, he gives the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This is what it means to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when, when I was with the pastor there in 1970, and he said to me, have you ever received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I said to him, you might as well talk Greek to me. I have no idea what you just said. I don't understand. Receive. And, you know, it was very good because he explained to me, he said, well, look, you know, it's like I've got a book in my hand here. I don't have a book. I have a book in my hand, and I'm offering you this book. And you can sit there and say, you know, I believe you're offering me the book. I think you're a really nice person for doing that. You're very generous. I believe you're generous. You're offering me the book. He says, but it's totally different from just believing that I'm offering it to you from when you take it out of my hand and you take it, then you received it. So it's the case of not just believing that Christ died for your sins, Christ, Christ was the guilt bearer for your sins, but actually receiving that into your, into your heart. So that's what it means to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to receive him as the personal guilt bearer. And this is what happened. And so it's really great that we have the Jewish people because they can show us on the negative side what it doesn't mean. They rejected him as the Messiah. We receive him as the Messiah. They rejected him as God. We receive him as God. They rejected him as personal guilt bearer. We receive him as personal guilt bearer. But in order for a person, any person, to receive the Lord Jesus as personal guilt bearer, he's got to acknowledge that he's got personal guilt. This is what the pastor said to me. He says, the first thing you have to do is, is tell the Lord in prayer that you're a sinner. I smiled and I said, you know, you don't know me, but if you did, you'd know that's not a problem for me. I said, if, if God doesn't know, I can give him a list. <laughs> you got to come to God that way. You got to come to God as a DRS. Not just a sinner, but the other kind, the dirty, rotten sinner. That's the variety we're talking about here. And if a person doesn't come to God as a dirty, rotten sinner, because he doesn't see himself as a dirty, rotten sinner, he doesn't see himself as sick, he says, I'm pretty good, I'm whole. Then the Lord Jesus says, you're whole? I can't, I can't help you. I can't help you yet, sorry. Because the sign outside my door says, dirty, rotten sinners come here for, to be changed. And this is what he says. When this happens, when a person comes like that, to, to him and says, oh, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. I got a lot of guilt. I got a lot of shame. And, I, and, and you are now my personal guilt bearer. I will put my guilt on your soul, so to speak. I will receive that your soul was bearing my guilt. Then 
Luke 15, 7 happens. Luke 15, 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. The reason all this happened to the Lord Jesus because it opened up this great door for, for God to do three wonderful things if a person just make the Lord his personal guilt bearer. And the three wonderful things that come are listed in Isaiah 53.10. Isaiah 53.10. The first wonderful thing that God does for that sinner who comes to God as a sinner, as a dirty, rotten sinner, except the Lord Jesus as his guilt bearer. It says in Isaiah 53.10, he shall see his seed. God looks at that person and says, I don't see you like I saw you before, but now that you've received him as your personal guilt bearer, I see you as my child. I see you as my seed. Many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. He shall see his seed. Oh, you're part of the people of God now. When a person receives the Lord Jesus' as personal Savior, that person becomes part of the people of God, the seed of God. He becomes a child of God, just like we were singing. Not a guest, but a child at home. This is what it means in John 1.12. John 1.12, as many as received him as personal sin bearer. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that are born, that were believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That person becomes one of the sons of God, complete with a new birth, just like we saw Evangeline there. That was the first thing. Second wonderful thing that happen, happens when a, when a person does that is uh, Isaiah 53.10, he, God, he shall prolong his days. That means that when his days on earth come to an end because of cancer, because of heart failure, because of an accident or just old age or whatever, that... John 11.25 kicks in. John 11.25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, and that's the word into, he that believeth into me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth into me shall never die. He shall prolong his days. He gets eternal life. He gets the gift of eternal life, the Romans 6.23 gift of eternal life. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, through Jesus Christ our guilt bearer. doesn't say that. It says Jesus Christ our Lord. But wait, there's more. Don't go away. So the third wonderful thing that God does for the person who receives the Lord is described in Isaiah 53.10 as, Isaiah 53.10, as the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That means that after a person has received the Lord Jesus by accepting him as his personal guilt bearer, God will use that person. God will use him. The pleasure of the Lord is going to be accomplished in his hand. His hand will do the will of God. That's an amazing thing. It is God that works in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. As it says, that's the purpose for the cross. So we could have this opportunity to have the Lord Jesus bear our guilt so God could do these three wonderful things for us. Number one, make us one of the, a child of God. Number two, give us eternal life. He shall prolong his days. Number three, be used of God in our lives. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He cries out, from the cross. He cries out from the cross. I'm crying out in the daytime. I'm crying out in the nighttime. You're not hearing. And there's a lesson in there. Eventually, we're going to see, as it goes down, we're going to see a verse where it says, Thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. 
This is a lesson for us. When we feel that God's not hearing us, is not answering, it's not that he's not hearing us, it's just his delaying. He's delaying his answer. It's a, it's a little hard for us. But in, there's, in those times when we go through this, it's comforting to know that the Lord Jesus knows by his own personal experience exactly what it means to have to wait for the answer. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.